A hero is integrity, humanity, and compassion in action. The hero frequency is the thread of those qualities binding us all. I'm Yasmin Joy, an empathic survivor of loss, grief, and more. And every week, I'll be sharing tips and tales that brought me to my mission of identifying and amplifying the hero frequency. Let's tune in and turn it up. Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. That may be what it sounds like I'm telling you in this episode, but believe it or not, it's all true, and therein lies your clue. Stay with me, you'll see what I mean. In the last episode, I talked about mantras and may have challenged your beliefs on them. If you haven't had a chance to hear the episode, I recommend you go back and listen to it when you get a chance after this episode. But essentially, I talked about how you're already doing mantras, and I gave you tips on how to transform them to work for you. Now, mantras may be in our head, or we may speak them, but they're based on something auditory. In other words, you are hearing the mantra in your head if you're not speaking them. The reason why I mentioned this is because if you think about the two main senses that we rely on to intake information, which our brain then processes for us to decide how to behave and what we believe in and essentially how we live, our hearing is a biggie. The other big one is our sight. Now, this one can be very tricky because our eyes are very trickable, thankfully for magicians and many artists, but potentially confusingly for the rest of us. Now, when I talk about the sight or vision, I don't just mean the visual part of seeing, but the interpretation of what we're seeing. Because people can see the same thing, but not see the same thing. Let me give you an example. This is an exercise I would do with some of my students, usually as part of the icebreaker, back in the day when I was a teacher. Now, when I did this in person, I would usually have a very simple sketch drawing to refer to. But since I'm not Professor X and I don't have telepathic powers to implant this image in your head, I'll go through it with you verbally. Ready? Okay. I want you to imagine looking at a room that is about 10 by 10, so a small room. There is a small window in the room, and to the wall in front of you, there is a twin-size mattress on the floor, and next to that mattress is a small side table. There's a working light in the center of the ceiling. Off to the side is a small washroom with a sink and toilet. That's it. Now imagine, for whatever reason, and you have to follow, someone came to you and said, this is your new home now. This is where you live. Now, without questioning all the circumstances in this hypothetical, just focus on the room. What are your thoughts and feelings on this new space, which you now will call home? Just a side note, I threw in the washroom for this exercise with you. My students didn't get that. It was simply the room with a mattress, small table, and window, and a working light. Remember your thoughts and feelings, and I want you now to imagine that you have been homeless for a while, and someone offers you this space. Now, how does the room look and feel? Any changes? If so, why? It's the same room. I didn't remodel it while you were gone. You see where I'm getting at, right? Now, I know you may protest, but Yasmin, you're talking about perspectives, not just sight and visualization. True, but here's the thing. Our senses bring in information for a purpose, and that is to swipe left or swipe right for whatever it's observing. And how is that determined? Well, a lot of the criteria is already preset, or rather pre-programmed. I don't want to use the word set because I lean towards the possibility for change. So the current program strongly influences perspectives. 
how we might view that room could be very different from how a homeless person who wants shelter might view that room. And I wanted to specify a homeless person who wants shelter because for some, being outside may represent freedom and safety. There's a homeless man in my area who usually has camp set up on the side of a parkway exit. I've seen him in this location for years and years, and he usually has a makeshift tent and bags of things strewn about under the trees around his tent. It's a nice private elevated spot. Well, not private because cars occasionally pass through there, but it's private in the sense that there aren't people for him to worry about, which I can imagine would be one of the concerns when you're homeless. Now, I can see how that setup could be appealing when the weather is nice and you could be outside under the trees in a private little hill. But we're on the East Coast here and it is freezing right now. But he's still there, camped outside instead of being in a shelter. Now, obviously, I don't know this guy, so I can only conjecture, but you get my point. We can see the same thing without seeing the same thing. Now, here's another example, and this may hit a bit closer to home, literally. Do you know of any siblings who are so different that it's like they're not related? Maybe it's even in your family. But even if they are in the same family and they're raised by the same parents, their experiences may be very different. It could be because of birth order or favoritism or just being different sex in the same family. Having parents with very different personalities could also render countless combinations and quirks in personalities. For example, I know a family where the mother and father are complete opposites. One is kind, generous, all the good stuff, and the other is self-centered, self-entitled, all the other stuff. And they're not anomalies in their family. They each are a fair representation of their own bloodlines. So their kids could have come out any which way. Fortunately, though, the sons did not model after their father. And the daughter didn't follow in her mother's footsteps of being a doormat, but whether it's from genetics or from observing and trying to deliberately avoid being a doormat like her mom, she picked up a lot of characteristics from her father. Whoops. Or even in my family, my parents were very different. My mom was very much the gregarious, quick-witted, fun-loving one, but she had a temper. Whereas my father was usually more stoic, calm, traditional, intellectual, and pragmatic but he was good-natured and laid back. My brothers and I were an interesting combination of the two growing up. The common threads were that we joked a lot and we were all pretty hyper. We lost our middle brother when I was 16 and my surviving brother was nine. So it's hard to know how much of that trauma may have affected the development of our personalities and the choices that we made. But interestingly enough, we could still see how my surviving brother and I picked up different influences in our characteristics. My brother's actually the fashionable one and he got that from our mom. But he's also analytical in a pragmatic way and that's from our father. Whereas I picked up my father's more philosophical side and my father fought in the Vietnam War against the communists and that's probably where I get my urge to fight for what I think is right. But I got my mom's temperament whereas my brother got our father's, which makes him fun for parties and me, well, I'm still fun at parties because we got it from our mama. But my brother would definitely be invited before me because he looks good and has a very light, happy-go-lucky, likable demeanor. Whereas I look like I dress for comfort and have a lot of opinions. Accurate. Which is why I have a podcast. Check it out. Well, hey there. 
Okay, all joking aside-ish, how you see things greatly affects your emotions, your beliefs, your relationships, including that with yourself, basically how you do life. Now, I want to distinguish between how you see things and how you look at things. When I say how you see things, I mean automatic perceptions of what you're looking at based on values established from upbringing, life experiences, and or the people that you spend time with. What you see is upheld by all of those factors. It's automatic and it feels true. And it may be true, or it may be untrue, or there may be some truth to it, but there may also be some inaccuracies in your tally of the situation. This is where looks matter. No, not those looks. And by the way, I hope you appreciate my sound effects because they do not come easily for me. But I mean to contrast how you look at things versus how you see them by default. Spoiler alert, seeing is at the finish line of both tracks. So if the situation you're looking at right now looks hopeless to you, take another look, but not from the perspective of someone who thinks they know all the possibilities about what's in front of them. Approach the situation with a curious eye. Instead of being certain for all the doubts and fears, be curious about the possibilities of good things happening. What if it does work out? What if I will be okay? What if I will get through this or over this or out of this? Now, before I go on, I want to acknowledge that sometimes you have to go through what you have to go through first. When there's grief or trauma involved, for example, you're dealing with a lot of physiological issues as well. Your brain can be changed from trauma and your nervous system can be so out of whack that it's very hard to self-regulate. As is stated in my show notes, I want to remind you that I'm not a licensed expert in any of these areas, and everything I say and do is with best intentions for education and entertainment purposes. As a survivor of many things, which I will share with you more in detail as time goes on, I completely understand how difficult it is to have access to quality, effective, trauma-informed mental health care. I mean, it's even difficult with physical health care. It's crazy and unconscionable how they make this so difficult for everybody to access in this country, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring to you all the insights, tools, tips, and tricks that I researched and tried and found effective for me. None of this is to replace professional help, just as professional help is not to replace all the learning and doing and trying and growing many which may not be covered in your sessions that could be discovered beyond your sessions. So in closing this infomercial, and for everything that I tell you and teach you, I want you to keep in mind that I'm not only the president, but I'm also a client. That line's from an 80s commercial for something called Hair Club for Men. I'll let you Google that one. So getting back with the program, seeing is automatic. If you want to change how you see something, you have to start being deliberate and mindful about how you're looking at what you're seeing. Now, this is not about lying to yourself about something that is clearly present and needs to be addressed. For example, if you're in an abusive or otherwise toxic relationship, the goal is not to make excuses for the abuse or toxic behavior, but to shift any disempowering beliefs that keep you there. Remember that family I mentioned earlier with the awesome wife and the opposite husband? They're a perfect example of a giver versus taker relationship as a result of upholding their belief systems, each from their perspective, giver versus taker lineage. The wife was pre-programmed from her upbringing to stand by your man and uphold your marriage no matter what, or close enough to it, which would be great 
if she didn't marry a taker. But because she did and was inflexible with her programming, she got what she got and became a cautionary tale for her daughter, who ran in the opposite direction, resulting in her having bullying characteristics like her father. Or take me, for example. I grew up with a father that was very communicative, kind, loving, and respectful to our mother as well as to us. Coming from that, I was not prepared for the real world. And part of my past programming was not only believing in the inherent good of people, but believing that the more I poured into them, the more they were getting filled, topped off, healed, until they were akin to me and we can ride off into the sunset together. Yeehaw! Bang, bang, bang! Instead, all I got was more of the lawless wild, wild west. And trust me, it was not as sexy as it sounds. Now, I gave you these examples to illustrate how looking at things differently so that you can have an empowering perspective does not mean telling yourself lies, even sweet little lies. Always be honest with yourself, but recognize that your pre-programming has created molds that are readily receptive for certain perceptions. And in order for you to create new molds, you'll have to find the new shapes and figures, be open to taking them in, and work at it to shape a new mold around it. This could be used for good or evil, so be very mindful of the company you keep. If you're in bad company, whether or not you do the actual harmful things that they may do, you will at the very least have to shape out a mold that desensitizes you from things that you should care about, making you an enabler. It's the only way to reconcile yourself with their indecencies so that you can justify your relationship with them. This happens in abusive relationships where the victim chooses to stay with their abuser, like the giver wife with the taker husband. But not only the targeted victims of abuse carry this mold. Witnesses and enablers of harmers can be recognized by their mockery or disdain of people who are sensitive, kind, caring, considerate, likely because they make enablers feel uncomfortable about their enabling. Who knows? All you need to know are the biases from your pre-programming the potential blind spots they are creating which could be affecting your perceptions, and what to look for to create new, empowering ones. I'm going to share with you two quotes to help you on your way. The first one is by best-selling author Karen Salmonson and someone I hope to have on the podcast because she's understated brilliance and a phenom human. I found this quote written by her maybe a decade ago, and it's stuck with me since. It reads... One of the big differences between sad people and happy people is that sad people become negative evidence collectors, dutifully looking for awful things, people, events to put into a mental folder labeled proof life is awful. Happy people are positive evidence collectors, constantly looking for awesome things, people, events to put into a mental folder labeled proof life is awesome. Because happy people collect awesome not awful stuff, they notice and track more awesome stuff, thereby filling up their mental folders with lots of happy evidence that life is indeed awesome. Now, you may have to label your folders differently to fit your current situation, particularly if you're dealing with something that's very heavy and very difficult right now. So your folder may not be life is awesome just yet, but it may be I can do this or I am worthy or Things will work out no matter what. Whatever it is, make sure that it's empowering and energizing because your old folder is tired and outdated and your current one is not giving you the full picture, which ties into the second quote that I want to share with you. It's very simple and I don't remember the exact wording, but it was by Tony Robbins and I found it over 10 years ago. And it's this, 
see things as they are, but not worse than they are. I know, sounds obvious, but I'm telling you, oftentimes when we feel really stuck, it's because we're only staring at the poop in the grass and ignoring the trees, breeze, and the rest of the beautiful world. Okay, maybe not the breeze in a poop analogy, but you know what I mean. Let's recap. One, what you see is not just what you get, but it's based on what you got. Two, if you want to get better things or to a better place, shift your gaze and start looking for them. Three, the world is full of everything, good and bad. And what you focus on looking for, you'll start to notice more. And what you gather is what you've got. Four, if making positive assertions is difficult, pose them as what-if questions of possibilities. And five, remember, see things as they are and not worse than they are. Now, get your folders and their labels set up and let's go on a scavenger hunt. Yeehaw! Bang, bang, bang! Y'all come back and see me sometime. That was Tom and Jerry. This is Yasmin Joy. Thanks for listening. See you at the next rodeo. Every day is an opportunity to exercise your integrity, humanity, and compassion, including for yourself. May you go with the company of good, the endurance of love, the beauty of wonder, and the dignity of kindness. Thanks for tuning into The Hero Frequency.